Our next speaker has traveled extensively researching ancient codes, symbols, and prophecies found in the scriptures. His passion for interpreting the relevance of this material has resulted in speaking invitations all across the globe. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lyle Southwell. It almost seems counterintuitive that archaeology could do something that would reveal the future. Archaeology, after all, being the science of studying that which is the past. However, when we come to the subject of archaeology, we find that, and we'll just try and get my slides happening here, we find that archaeology, or history I should say, history is the foundation of prophecy. Prophecy is the foundation of rational faith, and archaeology is the foundation of uh, history. And so we'll just, uh, my clicker is not working here. Okay, if we go to the next slide, and the next slide, okay, there we go, we're up and running. When we consider faith, we find that faith comes from a number of different perspectives. There is rational faith, there is experiential faith, and experiential faith is very, very important for everybody who is a Christian, but for a non-Christian, experiential faith is something that they have never experienced, and so it often leaves them feeling rather cold. And so as a result of that, we have prophecy, and the Bible outlines prophecy as the foundation for rational faith, giving us a rational reason to believe in the Bible and in Jesus Christ. Let's try this again. Here we go. So archaeology, archaeology provides scientific empirical evidence for rational faith. And we're going to look at how that works as we go through here this morning. I'm going to share as I begin this passage from 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says, or Peter says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you or revealed to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so Peter comes along and says, okay, here's what I'm going to share with you. I'm not going to share with you something that I've gone around and just made up. I'm going to share with you an eyewitness account of Jesus Christ. And we would say there is nothing better, there is no greater evidence that you can get. If you are in a courtroom, the best evidence that you can get is an eyewitness account. But then Peter continues on from there. He talks about how he was standing on the top of the mountain of transfiguration. He saw Jesus in his glory. He heard the voice, the voice of the Father from heaven, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And having shared that eyewitness account, he then goes on and he says this, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. So Peter comes along and he says, okay, I'm going to share with you something that is better than an eyewitness account, that is more sure than an eyewitness account, and that is prophecy. And it is archaeology that forms the foundation of history. And it is history that forms the foundation of prophecy. And it is prophecy which is the greatest evidence that we have for Jesus Christ in the Bible. That's what Peter tells us right here. So let's think about archaeology for a moment. Archaeology gives us confirmation of people, places, events, and dates in their relationship to the Bible and Bible prophecy. The science of archaeology was largely created as an attempt to, to establish whether or not the Bible could be trusted in an era when higher criticism 
was becoming popular. However, archaeology exists under a number of limitations and often when we think about archaeology, we don't always consider the limitations that archaeology exists under. First of all, only a fraction of the possible sites have been detected or located. And out of all of those sites that have been detected or located, only a tiny fraction of these have ever been excavated. Only a, a fraction of those sites excavated have been excavated to any real extent. So typically when you excavate a site, and this is one in Lakish in Israel, you'll see that there are a few trenches here and there. It's considered to be a very well excavated site. You can see that most of it has not been excavated. And so typically a small trench is dug and conclusions are drawn from that. Only a fraction of the evidence survives in the ground. So unless something is made out of stone or uh, clay, ceramics, etc., or sometimes metal if it survives, those are pretty much the only kinds of things, you know, woods, textiles, uh, text, etc., all disappear in, uh, in, in the ground. Only a fraction of what has been excavated has been thoroughly examined or published, and only a fraction of what has been examined and published makes any contribution to biblical studies because most of the archaeology that is taking place in our world is not taking place in an area where it's applicable to understanding the Bible and understanding more about the Bible. And then finally, once a place has been excavated and discoveries have been made, it is then incumbent on the archaeologist to write preliminary reports then do detailed studies on certain highlighted finds, then make final reports, and eventually you get to read about it in a magazine somewhere. And what is remarkable is that when such a minute amount of the possible information that can be extracted from archaeology has been excavated in relationship to the Bible, is how much of the Bible we have been able to confirm through archaeology. Over a hundred names of individuals we have found and been able to confirm their existence in the Bible. Hundreds of people that we thought of in the past that may have just have existed in myth, we now have been able to literally dig their names up out of the ground, but not just names of people, but events and so many other things that we once thought of as just myths. You can think about the Hittites, for instance, who were considered to be a myth and we have now found through archaeology that they were a great world power. Sometimes people come to me and they say, well, there's no evidence for this and there's no evidence for that in archaeology. Therefore, I don't believe in it. Well, that's a really strange argument to make. It hasn't been discovered yet. People said that before the discovery of the Hittites, before the discovery of Belshazzar, before the discovery of King David and so forth. We could go on and on and on down through the list. You don't make an argument based on what has not yet been discovered. Just running through very quickly some of the things that we can confirm, some of the prophecies that we can confirm from archaeology. Babylon. The Bible says Babylon would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. The city would never be inhabited again. Tents would not be pitched there by the Bedouins. Sheepfolds wouldn't be built there. The ruins would be infested by desert creatures. The stones uh, will not be removed for other projects and the ancient city will not be frequently visited. The site will be covered with swamps and with water and archaeologists have been able to dig up Babylon and find out that this is exactly the history of what took place in relationship to Babylon. You can go to the city of Tyre. 
The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar would destroy Tyre, that many nations would come up against it, that the debris of the city would be thrown into the sea, that Tyre would be made bare, flat, scraped like a rock, and fishermen would spread their nets over the site. And here you can find where Tyre was uh, here, the main city here, and of course their fortress on the island here, and Alexander the Great scraped the entire city back, bare like a rock, threw it into the sea to be able to come out here and conquer the island fortress that was there. And of course, there is very little left there on the island today, but a few ruins. We've already talked about Egypt and the prophecies in relationship to Egypt and how archaeology has been able to confirm those prophecies. We can think about individuals named in the Bible, individuals like Cyrus. And here we have the famous Cyrus Cylinder, well known in archaeology. The Bible prophesied his name, his occupation, that he would be raised as a shepherd the reaction of Belshazzar when he attacked the city of Babylon, Belshazzar's fear, the method of his victory over Babylon, that the, 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 the gates would be left open. The Bible prophesied his treatment of the Jews and his attitude towards the temple. And archaeologists, when they dug up the Cyrus cylinder here, found the account written by Cyrus himself. And so over and over and over again, what we find is that archaeology is confirming what the Bible says in relationship to events that have been prophesied. But these are all events that have been prophesied in the distant past. Events that have, we can go back and we can see that they have been fulfilled. And as we see that they have been fulfilled, it gives us rational evidence to believe what we have in this book right here. We don't have to go by some vague, warm, fuzzy feeling. Now, I'm not saying that a warm, fuzzy feeling is not a good thing. And many of us experience on many occasions that intense, close, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we should have that. But we should also believe, not because we just believe because we believe, but because we believe, but because we have solid, rational, empirical evidence for our faith. And prophecy gives that to us. And history is the foundation of prophecy. And archaeology is the foundation of history. We can look at this prophecy. We're going to look at it in more detail as we go through. So I'm just going to touch it very briefly Europe, a prophecy by Daniel, where he outlined two and a half thousand years of history of our world right through past our day, still being fulfilled right now. And now we're able to discover so much about Daniel's time and the events from the book of Daniel and confirm the historicity of the book of Daniel through archaeology. While we're on the subject of Daniel, I want to share one of the greatest prophecies very quickly with you that you'll find in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, in fact, Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9, you have the longest time prophecy in the Bible. It spans 2,300 years, nearly 2,500 years that prophecy spans. And in Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to turn over there very quickly and just share with you a couple of stunning observations and how archaeology has brought this prophecy to light. You see, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gives the greatest messianic prophecy that there is in the Bible. You can read it right there in chapter 9 and verse 25 where he makes this statement. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. He begins here by giving us these two time periods here, seven weeks and 62 weeks. And a day in Bible prophecy symbolizes a year. And so we can say, well, seven weeks is seven days. That's 49 years. 
62 weeks is 434 years. You've all got a calculator in your pocket. You can add that up very quickly. That's going to give you 483 years. And he tells us in the clearest possible language that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah, it will be this particular time period here. Well, how do we find that commandment? How do we find, how can we test whether this prophecy is true? You see, if you go back to the previous verse, in verse 24, it says 70 weeks. And so it gives us a longer time period here. Are cut off for Daniel's people. That's the Jewish people. To finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to get their act together with God. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. That's what Jesus did. It continues on to seal the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And so God comes along and he says, I'm going to give you a prophecy. And this is a portion of a prophecy that is 2,300 years long. He says, I'm going to cut this portion off and I'm going to give you a number of specific dates that are to be fulfilled in the future. And the fulfillment of those dates as they extend into the future will be the seal, the guarantee of the fulfillment of the longer prophecy so that you can trust in it. You see, God does not call call on us to have blind faith in Him. God calls on us to believe in Him because He gives us reasonable evidence for the things that He has shown us. And here he gives us reasonable evidence. It's okay, I've got 2,300 years. That's a long prophecy. It goes right down to the time of the end. Here's what I'll do. I'll cut off this section here and then I'll outline all of these dates so that when you see them fulfilled exactly as they are predicted, you have the guarantee of the fulfillment of the longer prophecy. And so we find these dates all being laid out for us here in this prophecy, all cut off from this longer one that comes all the way down to our day. And I wish I had time to go into the details of that one, but if you want more details about that, you're going to have to go and see Wayne Bohm out there at the Discovery Centre and he will fix you up with uh, materials that will be able to finish out the prophecy for you. I'm just going to look very quickly at this one. The Bible says right here, Know therefore and understand from from the going forth of the commandment to the Messiah, will be this period of 483 years. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. If you were to go back in time, that far back in history, 490 years back from today, Martin Luther would be still alive, Henry VIII. This is the period that you are talking about. And do you think that you could have, if you were living in those days, given us exact events, exact dates for events that were happening today? This is the kind of prophecy that we are dealing with right here. This is covering a long span of history. And so how do we find this decree right here to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem? Well, we find that decree recorded in the book of Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7, where the Bible tells us that this decree was made and it gives a copy of the decree in the seventh year of the reign of Artaxerxes. Well, that's not going to do us any good because we don't know when Artaxerxes reigned, except that when we go to study the history and the archaeology of the Persians, we find that the Persians were not like us. They did not record their history somewhere in the cloud or on a computer chip somewhere or a hard drive. 
They didn't even record their history on a floppy disk. Some of you will remember those. And others of you will remember these. This is a book, by the way. It's made out of paper. They didn't record their history there either. The great thing about the Persians was that they recorded their history by carving it in stone. This time last year, I was in Iran, looking at those carvings right there where they had recorded their history and seeing where they had written it down. And as a result, it hasn't just disappeared into the cloud. You know how it happens. You record something and and you go to find it the next day and it's like, well, where did it go? I know it's in the cloud somewhere. It's all gone. No, it was easy to find. You just go up to the cliff face and it's, oh, there it is. It's all written down. It's still written down there two and a half thousand years later. That's the great thing about the Persians. The other great thing about the Persians, of course, is that not only did they carve their history into stone, they were very keen astronomers. And so this was obviously linked with their religion. They were keen to see what was happening in the night sky. And they linked the events of the reigns of their kings to the things that they saw in the night sky, the events that were taking place, the comets and eclipses and so forth that were going past. And science being an exact, sorry, astronomy being an exact science, we have an exact chronology of the Persian kings. And because of archaeology, we know exactly when this date is. That gives us right there, the date 457 BC. And if you move forward from that date, you find this stunning fulfillment right here, where 49 years later, the decree, Jerusalem is finished being rebuilt. Then it says it would be another 434 years to Messiah the Prince. And I know that you are all sitting there saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop right there. Jesus wasn't born in 27 AD. The prophecy has failed. The, 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 the Bible is no good. We can't trust it because that's not what happened. Friends, I want you to notice the specific language that the Bible uses because the Bible speaks in the book of Daniel about Jesus Christ in a number of different places. And it calls him the son of God. It calls him the son of man. But this time it calls him the Messiah. And the word Messiah means the anointed one. And when we go back through history, we find that in 27 AD that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit as Messiah at his baptism, right on time, exactly as the Bible had predicted it would take place. The Bible goes on in verse 26 and says, and after this period here, after this 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. It continues on, it says, he will confirm the covenant for one week and in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice, the sacrificial system, and that's exactly what we find happening. 27 AD, three and a half years later, what takes place? Jesus dies for our sins. He gives his life. The Bible says he was cut off, but not for himself. He gave his life for you and I right there on Calvary, just as the Bible had predicted in 31 AD. And so we find this date, fulfilled exactly. And you'd say, okay, that's a, that's a pretty good guess. 49 years into the future, you would all be struggling to prophesy something 49 years into the future, wouldn't you? Well, what about prophesying something 483 years into the future or even 490 years into the future? I think that most of you here would say, no, that is beyond me. And what we have here is evidence of the supernatural. And many people ask me the question, what about this last three and a half years? What about 
AD 34, the Bible says that he'll be cut off and bring an end to the sacrificial system right there in the middle of the week. What about that last three and a half years? What is that all about? You notice the, 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 the language of the prophecy is very specific. It says 70 weeks in verse 24 are cut off for your people. Your people, Daniel. Whose people is that? That is the Jewish people. This was 70, 70 weeks or 490 years specifically for them. And here is what you find happening, Jesus says. Begin at Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then Samaria, and then to the end of the world. And that's exactly what took place. It was in 34 AD that for the very first time ever, the gospel went to the Gentiles. Every time we turn over stones in the Middle East, in the Bible land, we are confirming the Bible. We are confirming the story of Jesus. And those stones are calling out to us to give our lives to Jesus Christ as our Messiah. Won't you do that today? Thank you very much, Lyle. Now, we've had a number of questions come through. And I'll start with perhaps a bit more general and then get a bit more technical uh, what about people who use Bible prophecy to put specific dates on events in our time? Yes, this is a very good question, and it would uh, there's a there's a there's actually a prophecy that deals with that because oh my, um, and I don't have time to go into it. But the Bible is very clear that time prophecies have been fulfilled, and they have been fulfilled in the past. And so we find a lot of these prophecies. You know, you can go through all of the time prophecies of the Bible, and you can find. That they have, all, and this is the great thing about prophecy. Nearly all of this, this is a thick book, right? Nearly a third of this book is made up of prophecy, and ninety-nine percent of those prophecies have been fulfilled. You've got people like Cyrus, and he reads prophecies about himself right here, and very little of this book has been fulfilled. He's like, "Yeah, I'm going to honor the prophecy and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem." This is what Cyrus does. We've got, we've got two and a half thousand more years of evidence than Cyrus had. And so, yes, most of those uh, time prophecies, all except the uh, 1,000 year prophecy, um, time prophecies have been fulfilled. I'd be happy to um, look at any of the ones that uh, you'd like to look at in particular. The thing that I find is that uh, everybody who is looking for these prophecies to be fulfilled in the future is typically looking for a date for the return of Christ. And the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. And so the moment that you come across somebody who has a date for the return of Christ, and there was one, I think, uh, two days ago, um, and I think well, that, that, that was from, they've been changing it over the last fortnight. Um, as it sort of each one fails, they keep pushing it off a little bit more. And so I'm assuming, I haven't heard the latest, but I'm assuming that uh, the 31st of October has now been rescheduled for, I don't know, somewhere soon. Thank you. What is a good place to find the latest ongoing discoveries from archaeology that may be relevant to Bible history? Yeah, I, I'm part of a, uh, uh, an email group um, from Archaeological Diggings, and uh, I get up-to-date information through... Uh, what used to be the Diggings magazine um, on a regular basis. And uh, that's probably my primary source of, of where I start because I'll have all of the latest um, discoveries there that, uh, that then start me on a search of yeah. finding out more. Why do you date, this is a bit more of a technical question, why do you date the messianic prophecy from the decree of Artaxerxes when it was the decree of Cyrus on the cylinder in the British Museum? Ooh, somebody's... Somebody's been digging here. 
That's a good question. I might need to repeat the question because I've probably lost a few people. Why do you date the messianic prophecy from the decree of Artaxerxes when it was the decree of Cyrus on the cylinder in the British Museum? And, and we've, we've, we looked at that very quickly there, um, that decree. Okay, so we look at, we look at uh, a lot of these things with a very Western mindset. And, uh, you know, if you go and buy a house, you'll say, hey, I bought a house the other day, and you're really excited you bought a house. Well, you didn't actually buy a house. The bank bought a house, right? Yeah. Um, when do you buy that house? 20 years in the future when you pay it off, right? Hopefully. That's, that's the plan, isn't it? Okay? All right, so if you look at it from a Middle Eastern perspective... Of course, uh, particularly historically, they wouldn't say, I bought a house, until they have finished it. So you, when you come to the completion of it, that's when you say it has come into effect. And this is exactly what you find in the Bible. I'll just illustrate this very, very quickly. Um, in Ezra chapter 6, speaking about the decree of Cyrus, because there were three decrees. There was the decree of Cyrus. Cyrus started the decree. He initiated it. Then you had Darius who confirmed it, and then you had Artaxerxes who completed it. And in Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14, the Bible says the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built it and finished it according to, notice this, the commandment of the God of Israel. So here it's talking about the decree of Cyrus and it calls it the commandment of the God of Israel. And it goes on and it says, and according to the commandment, and notice here the word is the commandment singular, one commandment. The commandment singular of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And so the prophecy wasn't counted until it was completed. It's interesting also that the specification of the prophecy was not just to rebuild but to restore. And it was Artaxerxes who restored the government and the priesthood and so forth um, and gave them uh, independence as a nation that they had not had before. So there was some other aspects there that... Uh, other reasons why we're... And of course, if you start with Cyrus, you're just going to end up in midair. You start with Artaxerxes, right. and you have the most stunning messianic prophecy, you know, just pointing you straight to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing in the Bible. One of the most least known prophecies too, and I really have no idea why. Thank you. Are there any other ancient non-biblical texts that have been considered fiction and then proven correct by archaeology? There's probably many of them, and there are a number of uh, ones that are still considered to be fiction. Uh, for instance, there are several accounts that have been found in archaeology. And this, is, and this is what fascinates me, is that in archaeology, they always look for corroborating evidence. So they find a story here, but they always want to find the other story here so they can, they can uh, triangulate the event, get both sides of the story. And they say, well, if we've, we dig up something in Turkey and we dig up the other side of the story in Egypt, then we have a very trustworthy uh, historical basis for this particular event right here. The, the, the one thing that has been discovered more than anything else in archaeology is the story of the flood. There are more flood records that have been discovered in archaeology and in history than any other event, and yet it's still considered to be a myth, hmm. which I find fascinating. You know, they, they, they find you know, a story about a war between um, you know, the, 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 say the Hittites and the Egyptians, or sorry, the Assyrians and the Egyptians, and they say, okay, we've got the Assyrian version, we've got the Egyptian story, yep, it must have happened. Hmm. And then you've got you know, thousands of flood stories, oh no, no, that's a myth. 
Let me uh, just wind back. A, a question came through, and you, you, you touched on this, but I think it's great to address this from a general point of view. What, just again, what is the point of prophecy anyway? The point of prophecy, one of the reasons that God gives, well, there's a number of reasons that God gives us prophecy. Obviously, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. It's good to know what is coming in the future and to, to know that God is in control. You look out at your world today and you would say our world is very, very out of control. We feel that way, don't we? You look at what's happening in the Middle East, you look at what's happening in America or Korea or wherever you want to look, you could say our world is out of control. When you look at prophecy, you find that our world is not out of control, that God is still in control, that God is still sitting on his throne, that God has not forgotten about this world and that Jesus Christ did give his life for us. That's probably the greatest mm. reason that there is for archaeology and prophecy is to point us to Jesus mm. Christ. Let me just finish with this. Is there something that you would like uh, people hearing your message, what you've talked about today, to do with it, uh, application that you would suggest? I'd like you to take it away. I'd like you to investigate it for yourself. And if you do not know Jesus, if you have never investigated who Jesus is and the evidence that there is for Jesus, both from history and for archaeology, do so from a rational perspective. And then you owe it to yourself to experience Jesus for yourself. So you're not experiencing just rational faith, but also experiential faith. Because unless you do, you have no idea what so much of the world, the rest of the world is experiencing. You owe it to yourself. Would you thank uh, Lyle Southwell for his message? And he will be communicating with us again later in the program. Thank you, Lyle.